Hello and welcome to another episode of the Show Me Mo podcast with your host Joshua Peach and this is episode eight and I am excited for this one. This has been a uh, work in progress for a little over a month now. Um, I've, I've met Saloom, uh, I guess in September and we met, saw each other again at an event uh, a couple months ago in Missouri. And I said, I got to have you on the podcast. You're just doing such amazing stuff at your district. I want to share it with our, with our listeners. And so Saloom Stutzer, independent schools currently. We'll talk about what your next thing is, but, uh, welcome to the show me mo podcast, my friend. Hey, Josh, pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the few times we visited. I've uh, also watched uh, several of the other podcasts that you've done with our colleagues, and they've all been great. They're, each one has given me a little takeaway that I can implement uh, here in our district and, and my future district. And so uh, pleasure to be here. I'm excited to, to share with you as well. Yeah, Massachusetts guy falling in love with all the great things going on in Missouri to the point of starting a podcast and just any chance I get. Just going to soak in the energy that you guys have is uh, is it's been amazing and um, and and you my friend are nothing short of extraordinary based on um, how you're showing not just the work you're doing but how you're showing it and I want to talk about that part too uh, the importance of showing your work but before we do that um, tell us a little bit about the landscape about the district uh, number of students little facts that uh, that people might not know about and and a little bit about you and and how you got here. Um, one of the things that I always ask facility professionals is, you know, what was the day that the light bulb went off that you said, I want to be a director of facilities in schools? Was it the first day of kindergarten? Was it the last day of high school or some sometime in between or after? Yeah, well, let's go ahead and start with that. Um, you know, I my background, um, I come from a household of educators. You know, my mom, you know, has, has been an educator most of her life. And my dad was an educator all her life, all, all of his life. And so naturally, I think all of us um, kind of started gearing that way. Uh, we see the value uh, as we all hear. Education is one of the greatest equalizer. And I think I would argue the greatest equalizer in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I certainly wanted to be a part of that. Uh, but I knew my strengths were not in the classroom. My, my strengths were not teaching. So what were there other ways that I could be a part of the educational process? And, um, you know, my, my strengths and skill sets were really oriented towards the operational side, providing, you know, a conducive environment for, for learning to take place in. So professionally, um, you know, I went to college, you know, went to a small liberal arts called Central Methodist University here in uh, mid-Missouri. It's about 20 minutes northwest of Columbia. And I uh, was a student athlete there. And I had my intentions were to go there, get my degree and, and get out. Right. Uh, but uh, as with many things in life, uh, we had, you know, I had some mentors along the way going into my junior, senior year said, you know, you've got some skills that we could really utilize here uh, post, you know, once you graduate. And so they talked to me about entry-level, uh, student affairs. So I became, uh, a resident hall director, uh, after I graduated and I served in that role for a couple of years and really grew. And, and, you know, you learn a lot in that, uh, yeah. you know, in that role, you know, I had a building of probably four or 500, uh, students, uh, and obviously they lived there for the most part year round. So we're providing services 24-7, making sure they're obviously safe, you know, they're well taken care of from, you know, uh, being fed. But a part of that is also, at that time, many institutions were, were moving to, you know, living learning environments, right? So you had certain uh, floors that focused on, you know, strategic areas. And so that was all my responsibility to ensure that we provided a uh, an atmosphere um, for them to to be successful in all those areas. So I quickly rose through the ranks. Uh, so I, I served as a hall director for a couple of years, and then I was promoted to a director of residence life. Um, for and I served in that role for approximately three to four years. Uh, finally, kind of elevating to uh, assistant uh, slash associate dean of students for the university. And each step along the way, I grew in responsibilities, right? So I went from 
you know, just the housing piece uh, to to housing as well as, you know, meal service and making sure that uh, those those buildings were well maintained. So working collaboratively with all of our other stakeholders, um, specifically in the plan operations area, and then just continue to grow from there to provide comprehensive student services in my role as associate dean. So I did that at Central Methodist for a total time lapse of about nine years. And then in 2014, I had um, the opportunity to move back to the Kansas City area and uh, join the team over at Shawnee Mission uh, Public Schools, which is the third largest school district in the state of Kansas uh, with an enrollment of about 24, 25,000 students. They had gone through a superintendent change and uh, he was building out his team. And then obviously there's layers from there. I knew some folks that uh, were, were part of uh, that new superintendent's cabinet. And so I went to work for a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Robinson, who was a, a mentor of mine kind of going up through, uh, I'm a product of the independent school district. I'm not sure if I shared that. So as I was going through school, uh, high school, that is, you know, I worked for the district in, in uh, summer capacity, you know, seasonal, like paint crew, grounds crew. And so that's where I uh, knew Bob Robinson, because he used to serve as the director of facilities for the independent school district. So then he retired from uh, Missouri, went over to Kansas and uh, served on uh, who was Jim Henson, uh, the superintendent served on his cabinet. So Bob was trying to fill out his team. And so I went over and uh, he had reached out to me uh, kind of around November of 2014. And um, so they, you know, we've got uh, a lot of good work that's getting ready to take place here and I'm building out my team. Uh, would you consider joining? So sure enough, I, I joined, you know, I had kind of what I would call the nine slash 10 year itch. Uh, I'd accomplished everything that I needed uh, to do or wanted to do professionally at Central Methodist. And this was that next opportunity for me to grow professionally. So I went over to Shawnee Mission as a operations supervisor uh, predominantly seeing the custodial uh, operations, which was a staff of about 250 uh, custodians throughout the district. And little did, you know, little did Bob not share with me that one of the things that we were going to be doing was going through a restructure. <laughs> and so my first um, really six months on the job were spent restructuring the entire custodial department for efficiencies. They had a model where um, everything was by building and we were moving to kind of more of a centralized model. And so as a part of that, obviously there's, um, you know, there's reduction of force. And so that was kind of a, a, a difficult time, but nonetheless, we made it. Um, and, you know, I think things in the end ended up being really you know, right-sized for, for what the district needs were. So from there, I uh, was hired by, had opportunity to go over to the Fort Osage School District and was hired as the uh, Director of Facilities, obviously uh, an opportunity for me to continue my professional growth in the areas of operation. And we, <clears throat> I was there for a year before uh, the Superintendent of the Independent School District, Dale Hurl, poached me, and uh, that's where I've been uh, since. And. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, there's never been a, a, a larger need for um, facility professionals. I mean, there's just there's there's a huge gap right now. Um, and when you see when you see great facility directors, it's it's good reason why they're coming and looking for. Well, for uh, I think to to add to that too, Josh, um, I I think more so now probably than any time before. Um, you know, when you're going to school, when I was going to, through school, you know, high school and, and probably college, I think from the facility side, you know, we all know, we all understand that now, but I think the respect and importance of the position has grown, especially, and was magnified, ironically, during COVID, right? You know, right. think about what COVID did to um you know, for all the things that we talk about COVID and, you know, the, the negatives, I think there's a lot of positives that have come out with that. Uh, for example, in the operations of uh, schools, I think, you know, those district leaders realized how important sound operational practice from an indoor air quality, uh, from a cleaning standpoint, uh, 
not only was there value in that, it was the, the value was that was the key to being able to keeping schools open and mitigating, you know, spread uh, and continuing to, to maintain healthy environments for all stakeholders. So to your point, I think now when you sit around the table and visit with whether it's board members, whether it's superintendents, they know and understand the role that operations and facilities play more so than they ever have in their professional career. And uh, with that responsibility kind of comes opportunities for us to work with them with different partnerships. Um, you know, our organization here and the value that we bring from a consultation, a collaboration standpoint with many of the other state agencies uh, from the you know, Department of Health and Human Services to the Center for Educational Safety. Uh, our organization uh, has done a good job and, and, and that's kudos to our executive director, right? Uh, Charlie Branham, he's, he's done a good job of realizing what opportunities exist and how our organization with the skill sets and the diverse skill sets that we have with many people serving in various roles can meet that need and fill that gap. And so um, to your point, I think globally people are realizing the value of having good operational practice because instruction, let's be honest, can't take place without those quality learning environments. Right. Yeah, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna toot Charlie's horn too, and I and when he listens to this, I think is we're gonna sense that his head is is yeah. expanding, um, yeah. but but he really uh, he and your board, um, you exemplify member first, um, and that's been what has drawn me. You know, I got a lot of places to be and and things to do, and like I say, anytime since last September that I get an invite to be a part of something, I'm I'm all over it because. What I, what I see in your organization, the MSPMA, Missouri School Plan Managers Association, is you truly are looking out for members first. Um, that first of its kind winter workshop that I was able to moderate um, <clears throat> and bring in some, some, some thought leaders, for lack of a better word, to come in and for me to help with, with kind of directive of the, of the conversation and making it a really an engaging conversation where people could speak up and ask the questions and it wasn't just death by PowerPoint of right. a whole bunch of information really exemplifies um, the, the great things and the innovation that, that Charlie and the board are, are doing for, you know, all your members, which is, which is phenomenal. Um, one of the interesting takeaways, I always love these, um, these, these episodes because I, I get to know people a little bit better. And I have to tell you in my entire now going on my 27th year career, of working with schools and operations, you're the first person that I I, I see you started your career uh, unknowingly as an RARD in a, in a college. That and and as you were telling that story, I'm going, man, that makes so much sense because what people don't understand is that RA or RD looked at as a, as 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 me being not that smart. You know, their responsibility when I was growing up or when I was going to visit colleges, because I went to community college. So my RA or my RD was my parents. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So when I got to go see my friends that had dorms that they lived in, the RA or the RD was the babysitter to make sure that they knew where all the booze was being hidden and all that stuff. But there's a lot more to that. Too hot, too cold, clogged toilet, anything that goes wrong. That's a that's a pretty big responsibility. And you get to see the inner workings of how the communication process works and everything else. So that's, that's pretty interesting. So congratulations on being the first. No, I, I appreciate that. And uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting that, you know, as you reflect kind of on your experience and I reflect on my experience, um, the, there's a lot you know, philosophically in terms of how I operate now that at the base level was built when I was an RA and RD, you know, Uh, I think in our line of work, uh, and I would argue probably in professionally any line of work, success is built on relationships. 100%. 100%, right? And so as I look back, probably one of the biggest things that I learned was how to, in that environment, serving as an RA, RD, or director of Res Life, um, 
you have to be able to establish positive relationships uh, because the reality is those students won't seek help or assistance from you if they can't trust you or know that they have a relationship with you. And likewise, in, in, in our operational practice here and wherever else I've been professionally, it's tough to get people to understand your, your goals. Uh, they may understand them, uh, but it's tough for them to execute your goals, your expectations, your vision, if they don't have a relationship with you or they don't value that relationship that you've hopefully established with them. So at the core of really everything that, that we do, it's relationship-based. You know, all the other stuff, it'll take place. Those are simply the variables that we have to work in, but uh, relationship is the core. Yeah. Yeah. No, when I, um, I actually got a client um, one year uh, early on, and, and like this is bringing back, it's kind of interesting, uh, kind of the full circle, but I can remember being in my early 20s, just starting out in a school saying that there were two kids um, that after the first week, they dropped out of college because the living environment, not the learning environment, mm-hmm. the living environment was not something that was um, that that something that they could handle because it was unseasonably warm um, and the heat was running. The thermostat was broken and they just it was un, it was unlivable living. Yep. And, and so the school lost two tuition, two tuitions, more importantly, two students that wanted to get an education. And when I'm listening to you and hearing about how you got started, I'm like, boom, that's the, there it is. That that was that story that I heard that the RA didn't do what they were supposed to do, which was report to the facility department what was going on in the building. And and you're you're basically um you're the you're the director of you're you're not the director of facilities, you might be the survivor supervisor of facilities for that dormitory, yeah. but it's a bit it's a yeah. lot more important than it's a lot more important than finding the the uh the beer that's hidden in the ceiling tile. Uh, there's a lot more to it, which is uh, something that I think a lot of people overlook. 100%. And I think, you know, to add to that as well, Josh, is, you know, that environment operated 24-7, right? And mm-hmm. so you may have a, you know, a resident come to you at, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning saying, to your point, hey, I'm really hot, right? You know, and uncomfortable. I've got a test tomorrow that I've got to take. You know, I've got all this added stress. And so as, as the individual responsible for that building, you're trying to provide the best customer service to that student because, A, it matters. B, you know, um, you know that's, that's the lifeblood, right? You know, enrollment mm-hmm. lifeblood for, for many higher ed institutions. So you've got, you can either sit on that till the morning or you can go over and take a look and try to build your mechanical knowledge, which I, a lot of the mechanical knowledge I've built was during that time, right? So, hey, we've got a stuck actuator here. And so, yeah. hey, let's, let, let's try to work on that and uh, fix that and provide a, a high level of customer service. But I've also helped kind of our plan ops team uh, not come in the next morning and have, you know, a work order list of 600 rooms that they need to take a look at. And they only have so many resources. So, um, it was twofold. I learned a lot, um, both, both operationally, but also just from the human element in terms of building relationships and, and bridging needs uh, when needed. Yeah, that is that is cool. And you've, you've actually I'm going to talk to you offline about an idea that I just had in my brain that I'm going to I'm going to lean on you for because going right back to it, there's not enough experienced facility professionals to take all the roles that are out there. And you, you've, you've given me a great idea and I've gotten way off topic and I'm going to reel us, I'm going to reel us, I'm going to reel us back in, but this is good stuff. I mean, uh, I could talk to you for, for a day about, um, about a lot of this stuff, but um, one of the things that I wanted to get on this, this podcast um, I, I share, and I, and I think you've probably heard me say this is, it's it's more important to show your work than to do your work today. Uh, a lot of the work that you do, um, most of the work that you do is behind a curtain. And if everything goes smoothly, then the building did a great job. The builders did a great job of building that building. It's not yeah. that the facility department was proactive and doing great preventive maintenance. It's not that they were doing a great job of staying on top of their capital needs. It's 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 that the building was built right. And so showing that work, and, and there's a lot of aspects to showing that work. I obviously provide software solutions that help do that. Another right. aspect of 
showing that work and showcasing your team is the power of social media. And I think you've done a phenomenal job specifically on LinkedIn where you're educating your followers and, and the world to projects that your team is doing to, um, not solving the supply chain issues, but I saw you had one post that talked about, I think, 119 rooftop units, or there was something that you purchased a large number of in preparation for a project, not in line with the project because you knew the supply chain issue. So educating folks, hey, why, why do we have this you know, parking lot filled with all these units? You put it right out there and said, hey, we ordered all of this because you know, the, the wait time was 362 days and we got 365 days to do it. And um, really, really kind of neat stuff. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to understand, you know, when you started to do that, because I've, I've been following you for some time and it seems like you had been doing it for a while. Um, what motivated you to do it? Um, and then maybe talk about a couple of the projects. I'd love to learn more about the, uh, the auditorium with all the scaffolding and all of that. Cause that just looks like a, a, um, that looks like a, just a ton of work being done. Yeah. Uh, it, that scares me. What one hundred percent? Yeah. So let let's start. Let, let's let's take a bite out of uh, the HVAC project um, that we're we're currently doing. So uh, this was really about, you know, you, you're well aware that public uh, public and higher ed institutions had access to leverage a lot of their financial pieces. Um, through ESSER funding, which were specifically uh, allocated for improvements to uh, indoor air quality, um, because I think the federal government realized um, how important uh, schools uh, are and the role that they serve. And let's try to help our our school system strengthen that to provide an optimum learning environment uh, post-COVID, right? So we had access to probably about $10, $10 million. Obviously, we had more, but uh, as we worked with our leadership team, we decided that let's spend $10 million of our allocation to improve um, our indoor air quality, right? Uh, we already did great things, Josh. Uh, we're probably, you're well aware, um, you, you know the name Luke Guard mm-hmm. of Children's Mercy, and we've been doing indoor air quality uh, testing uh, here in our district, probably the last 15, 20 years, we've specifically worked with them. And so with that, you know, indoor air quality is not just about your your mechanical systems, right? It right. boils down to what type of flooring are you putting down, what type of furniture, uh, what type of cleaning chemicals are you utilizing, uh, some of that is also policy and planning development. You know, one of our highest offenders of indoor air quality are our own staff, right? You know, yep. bring in uh, fragrances that have, you know, high VOC content and all of that. So we, we've we worked uh, to strategically build a program on indoor air quality way before really many people were talking about it, right? You know, yep. um, but a part of that is also what we're doing with our mechanical systems, so I've got a condition assessment for every single rooftop unit that is um, in service in our district, uh, really any mechanical system that's in service in our district. And so um, when we had access to those dollars, my thought process went to, hey, what can I do to improve? Obviously, efficiency and technology over the years um, has improved on, on those systems. And so just simple life cycle replacement will simply address many of the challenges that you have with your existing systems. And the second part of that is now I'm utilizing leveraging federal dollars, right? Instead of mm-hmm. our own internal capital dollars that um, may can be, uh, and most of the time are allocated to other needs, mm-hmm. I'm leverage that to try to, to, to set up the district for future success for the next 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm, you know, with those dollars, I'm not going to be able, you know, we're about 4 million square feet under roof. um, And so that's a lot of square footage to condition. And you've got obviously based off of life cycle, you've got units that have, you know, been in service at intermittent, you know, ranges. So I had um, about 120, 
20 rooftop units that I needed to replace because they were two to three years um, past their life cycle. But, yep. you know, we've got a good preventative maintenance program uh, to, to keep those units running. But we were on borrowed time. So we allocated. Uh, and then I had about another 12 boilers that were in the same boat. So obviously we were right at the heart of COVID uh, lead times were, were crazy. And so for the most part, I was doing one-for-one replacements. So I engaged um, and, and I, let me know if it's okay to share. Uh, Please don't, there's, this is we, uh, everything. <laughs> I engaged uh, Daikin. Uh, I'm a big Daikin yeah. fan in terms of their uh, systems. Uh, they bring good value. Um, and our guys know and understand those systems can work on them. And, uh, that's their preferred mechanical system. And so I engaged them and started having conversations of, Hey, I'm looking at allocating these resources to outfitting and upgrading and life cycle replacement, these number of systems. And so we built together, Hey, no problem. We can certainly help you with that. So I said, all right, you know, go out and get all the serial numbers and everything else, model numbers. For the most part, I'm doing one-for-one replacement. Um, I'd already gone through and had assessed, you know, are there any systems that are um, not right-sized in terms of conditioning whatever space they're, they're, they're serving? And so I wasn't too concerned about that. We, you know, load and everything else, uh, checked all those boxes so they put together, you know, a, a budget for me, respective to equipment. Um, and, and I wanted to really maximize those dollars, Josh. And as, as you know, um, when you put together a package and it's turnkey where you're put, you know, you're including equipment and labor, you're going to pay a little bit more of a premium on that because a lot of those, in this case, those mechanical contractors are going to put uh, are going to include, you know, um, some additional dollars there just to leverage their risk, right? Um, right. And so I'd made the decision to, okay, I'm going to buy the equipment directly through Dyke and cut out the middleman respective to that and try to, you know, leverage that. And it worked uh, because I was able to reduce uh, kind of the budgetary takeoff number by about 30, 40%. Wow. Okay? And, and so I bought the equipment through Dyke and bought it a, almost a full year ahead of when we were going to start the project due to uh, concerns about lead times. Because the other thing is, you know, schools for the most part, these uh, are, are 20, you know, year round now, let's be honest. Right. Uh, there's really a, about a, what I would call a 60, maybe 70 day window max, depending on your school district where you're not in session. Right. Uh, but for the most part between summer school and the regular academic year, we're for the most part year round. And so with that, I've only, I've only got basically 60 to 70 days, right. Mm -hmm. In the calendar year to perform this work on at 22 school sites. (laughs) So I've got to have my equipment in hand before I go uh, tearing off existing equipment, because I've got to be able to provide, you know, uh, a a comfortable learning environment uh, when it calls for that. So we worked through that, uh, took that to the board. They approved me for, uh, you know, but what ended up being about $3.9 million in equipment purchases. So that's, that was to cover all the rooftop uh, and units and boilers and a couple of small chillers in there as well. And then I put out, I worked with our design teams, two firms to put out, you know, all of the specifications to have all the mechanical contractors bid on the work. So through that process, uh, I ended up with three highly qualified um, mechanical contractors in the Kansas City metro area, and every single one of them got large parts of the project. And I kind of, I I gave them the option to combo bid, but then I had them bid also by line item for the 22 school sites, because that, that provided me with the greatest flexibility to be able to pick and choose the lowest, most responsible, because I also drove the cost down. So mm-hmm. um, just on bid day alone, between combo bids and if the district selected the individual line items, I was able to shave about another $200,000 off of the bids. And so that freed up and gave us some additional resources to where I could go out and buy some additional pieces of equipment to maximize those dollars that we had to utilize on this project. 
So pleased to say this last year, so I cycled, I, I planned, I built the schedule for two consecutive summers. Mm-hmm. So last summer we focused on all the, excuse me, all the boilers as well as uh, the ventilation system for our natatorium here. So we got all of that work done. And uh, this summer we're going to, and we also got some other uh, rooftop units, a, a couple of, you know, onesies, twosies that were, were completed last summer. So right now I sit at about 109 rooftop units to, to get installed. We just had a couple of meetings, a couple of uh, Fridays ago, we're going to try to knock off uh, several, several of them over spring break to bring that number down to roughly about, you know, 105 to hundred, and then we'll finish the rest uh, this summer. So it's a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, and I've actually shared our model with several other folks out there, you know, cause we're all kind of, for the most part, in the same boat in the, mm-hmm. in the public sector in terms of, you know, we've got defined periods of time to be able to perform, you know, capital projects work. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm really proud with how that project's turned out. And really before I leave, uh, we'll have all those systems uh, commissioned, working, ready for the upcoming academic school year. And, you know, I've set it up to where we've got in another five, actually about another eight years, we'll be ready for our next pod of equipment for life cycle uh, replacement. So I've started kind of building some capital budget to be able to address that because the leveraging of these federal dollars is going to sunset probably in 2023, uh, 2024. They've given us an extension on that. Uh, a lot of those needs are going to need to be brought back in-house. So it was really a good opportunity for us to set up the district for success while providing, you know, comprehensive environments through um, updating our mechanical systems. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of little nuggets that I took away from that. The first yeah. being um, that you were aware. There's a lot of schools, unfortunately, that weren't aware and sadly made purchases based on community um, you know, anger, frustration, whatever you want to call it, where now they've got warehouses of MERV 13 filters for units that can't handle utilizing MERV 13 filter or hand sanitizer that's going to expire because it's got a shelf life, but you needed, everybody went into the frantic mode. Um, you went the route of, of, first of all, you had the condition assessment available. So you knew the life cycle, um, lowest responsible, uh, bid. I love to hear that opposed to lowest bid because all too often, um, it, and it's not the answer. It's not always the lowest bid, but in a lot of times in public sector, that's what they hear all the time. And right. then, then you start to feel that way. And it's, well, we got to take the lowest bid and you, 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 Missouri, especially, I hear lowest responsible more often than not. And, and the work that you did, the best practice of, Hey, let's just buy directly from them. Let's buy, let's go direct. Let's cut the middleman out. Let's save 30 to 40%. And that gives us a breathing room. Um, is a great best practice that I think a lot of people may not may or may not take advantage of, but that's one that I've I haven't heard recently of of doing that. Um, but the most important uh, the most important bullet point that I got out of that, um, and, and you know, all of what you say is 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 just naturally what Saloom does every day, which that that's what's really cool. Which you, you said we buy we buy Daikin equipment because they do it does a good job and our team it's it's easy for our team to work on and that's often overlooked and whether it's a sales pitch and mechanical equipment is way out of my pay grade of understanding how it all works i'm amazed at how people can troubleshoot and figure things out it's kind of like when you turn a switch on or off or a thermostat on or off there's a million things that can go wrong as to the connection of that switch or dial um, to the point of where you need to have that room conditioned and 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 lit, um, but having that that mindset of hey, this is this is a great piece of equipment. It runs well. It's energy efficient. It's great. It does all this stuff. But hey, when the rubber meets the road, it's going to need work. How difficult or how easy is it? And you taking the road of hey, we want to make this as easy for our team as possible because we know. Uh, I'm guessing that you're you're you probably just like everybody else where you're not you're you're having staffing issues, you know, you don't have the staff needed to do all the work in a given day. Um, so the more that you can do to make their, the work that they do, um, easier for them to get to is, uh, is imperative. And, uh, and that's commendable. Well, 100%. And, and again, you heard me talk earlier, you, you 
know, a, a lot of the verbiage I use, it's not by accident, right? Um, you know, it's got to make sense for the end users, right? And in this particular case, in the context of what we're talking about, it's got to it's got to perform, right, for right. The, the students and the teachers and the educational stakeholders in the environment. But when it doesn't perform, the other end user in this particular case is our HVAC technicians, right? They've got to be able to go in there and they've got to troubleshoot uh, the unit and uh, and fix it. And uh, I'll be honest, not uh, not every single mechanical contractor uh, or, or manufacturer provides um, the, the necessary training and the support um, that's necessary to be able to do that. And we found with Dyke and they do, you know, they continually have similar to what we do with uh, Missouri school plant managers for our day conferences. They offer those um, if not quarterly, you know, every couple of months, there's a training. I send our guys to that because it's important. You know, there's updates, you know, there's firmware updates, right? You know, there's all of those things that are necessary. Um, you know, to have that knowledge that way they can apply it when they encounter that into the field. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's more, more need more of that more need more of yeah. the continuous improvement, uh, constant training the, 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 the technology is moving at such an unbelievably rapid rate. Anyone that I talk to that has a leadership role that has anything to do with technology, I say, Hey, look, go on YouTube and do a, sh- a search for shift happens. Um, there's a video that was done in 2006 that showed the speed in which they anticipated technology to advance and get smarter. And we're talking about AI now with chat GPT, which is scary. I don't know if you've messed around with it, but it is scary how smart and how quick it's producing, uh, simple questions. Um, but having your team continue to learn and to grow and to understand all these new, um, pieces that are coming to them, you know, that, that box, What's inside that box is changing constantly. And uh, I think that that's great that you, uh, that you take that role. Um, So, you know, what's, so what, what, uh, kind of going back to you um, was, what was the the thought on, you know, starting to put the, the projects and the advancements and the things that on LinkedIn out for the world, where did, where did that kind of come into play? Because you're one of the best. I mean, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna toot your horn too big because the camera can only go this, 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 yeah, this yeah. line. But yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I make a, I make a practice to, to be connected with, with people that are in my life that, that, that impact me. Yeah, I.e., yeah. my clients, my prospective clients, um, people in industry, and so I have thousands of, of people. And when I say you're one of the best, I mean you are one of the best. That you are, yeah. you put out great pictures incredible detail and and there is um intention with those posts which is to showcase and it's not it's not all pretty and flowers like i talk about that auditorium it's scary how much scaffolding and everything you didn't show the finished product you showed the work in progress so um what was you know what 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 was kind of the light bulb moment or what do you remember you know kind of what it was that said hey i need to share more of this and do more posts to to put out there well Part, part, it's twofold, right? Um, if, if you follow my posts, um, we've got a comprehensive uh, school improvement plan. And within that, uh, there's a facility arms that's specific to just facilities, right? And that's mm-hmm. our, driving, our driving document that drives much of our capital uh, work. And so when we're in a bond cycle or we have a capital project or we have some opportunities to leverage funding to address capital needs, we refer to that document quite a bit. And on top of that, that document uh, was helped formed by our community. You know, our community, one of the unique things that um, we do here and everybody does it differently. Um, Some will engage their design team to do condition assessments for them. Uh, We actually engage our community. So many of the projects, with the exception of probably the life cycle replacement, we get together about 40 community stakeholders made up of students, parents, uh, board members, um, building principals. And we basically give them a condition, a a binder that is a comprehensive 
tool that they can take and go visit a school site and see it for themselves and make notes, right? Mm -hmm. And so we did that in this particular regard and we collected all of those binders back and we correlated all the data, what came up the most. And they all went to every single one of our school sites and they made their own condition assessments. And so I share that from the fact that that's, those are kind of, if you think about it, those are my marching orders, right? We went mm -hmm. to this school and 38 of the folks that walked through those front doors saw that this did not meet our program standard or our district standard and needed to be addressed. And so they noted that in their condition assessment, right? And so we take all that data and then we work with our design team. Hey, this is, this is what our community is telling us. Um, can we start working on, you know, schematic design? So from there, we start working with the end users in those spaces. Like, let's say, you know, I'll just use, I'll use auditoriums, right? Because that's yep. something that I've shared. You know, our stakeholder community, every single one said our, our, our auditoriums at our three high schools did not meet today's standards in terms of program function, uh, climate, you know, lighting controls, all of those things. Mm -hmm. So that came up 40 times. So we took that as a marching order. We need to somehow modernize these spaces. And we started working with the theater directors, building principals at each site. Hey, this came up. What would you guys like to see? You know, those, again, are the end users, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what, would, what are the limitations of these spaces? And then we go through design development and obviously get to see the bid out the project, start the construction work. So my point in sharing that process is it's important for me to report back, right? Mm -hmm. We heard you. We walk, walk through the process in terms of the end users and the program function, uh, the folks that are most affected or limited in this case by the space and pictures and that progress are my way of reporting back to our community that, hey, we listened, we heard, here's what we're doing about it. Now you can see the transformative work that's taken place mm -hmm. and you can share and celebrate that, right? Because we're all kind of accountable in, you know, to, 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 our, to our communities, whether they be our taxpayers, our students, families, right? And so that's where, um, that's the reason and the, the, the intentional reason behind why I share what I share and when I share it, because it's sequenced and it aligns with a lot of the feedback from the condition assessments that our community did that we implemented in, right? The HVAC part, obviously that's, you know, they can't, they don't have the necessary tools to be able to properly assess that. You know, I use a lot of uh, our data off of uh, work order requests, life cycle, and that's just a piece of the puzzle that I have to make sure is prioritized because that is, you know, that's just as important as that sexy auditorium, right? Right. Uh, because if I have an auditorium that I can't condition, it's a miserable environment. Right. And so I need to make sure that our community also understands that, hey, I've also got some building envelope as well as infrastructure needs from a mechanical standpoint that we have to prioritize the financial resources we have. And I can show the data because I've got my assessments on that, right? My life cycle replacement, the number of work orders that we've run. And so that's the reason, Josh, and that's kind of how we get to that. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many auditoriums I've gone to that are absolutely gorgeous that you can't sit in because they're not, they're not conditioned right. right or they don't you know, they put all this money into, you know, older buildings don't have air conditioning uh, because yeah. of, you know, what we, what you talked about earlier, which is you have 60 days and you don't have 60 days. You've got summer camps that are coming at yeah. you. You've got, you've got band camps, you've got, everybody wants to use your space. Whenever that space is not being used for curriculum, your yeah. communities and your companies around you want that space. And I've sat in auditoriums that are absolutely gorgeous, just beautiful but they there's no there's no good controlling of it or no air right. conditioning because it's a a 50 year old uh, building that's been um uh redone and they just didn't didn't put that piece into it so it's important yeah. or it's it's also important to make sure that you have 
functioning equipment, that behind the scenes stuff. Um, this is, this has been, this has just been awesome as I knew it would be. Um, I want to, I want to give, I want to give a little teaser cause I'm going to have you back on probably and okay. I'm going to have you back on in August. And you, you gave a little, you gave a little comment about, um, you know, the next thing um, and what, when you leave the district, I think you were talking about those 120 units um, you're leaving a legacy. And I think that's something that's important for all facility professionals, because when I started my career, um, you started in a district. A lot of times it was the district you went to as I, in high school and mm-hmm. you stayed there. Uh, you didn't need to prepare a resume. You didn't have superintendents searching you out and looking for the next opportunity. And I think it's very important that you uh, you show pride in your work until the day that you leave and you leave it better than you showed up with. And you're leaving quite um, quite the legacy. But I'd, I'd like to ask the, 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 my closing question to you is um just how stressful is that on you to think about all the stuff that you have going on and what you're going to leave for the next person, which is undoubtedly a better district, but that's, you gotta, you gotta be up at night thinking about, you know, all these moving pieces and, you know, your, your every day is one day closer to, you know, uh, your next great uh, opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, there's a lot of variables that go into that answer, but, um, you know, I'll start with the kind of the legacy part, and then I'll kind of try to articulate the rest of it. Um, I don't. <clears throat> we're public servants, Josh, and, and the roles that we serve, right? And I always try to preach to to our teams that it's not about me, it's not about you, um, it's it, it's not about everybody except the mission. And the mission is to provide comprehensive facility environments for all stakeholders, right? That's that at the end of the day, when you boil mm-hmm. down what we do, that's it, right? Um, I don't get too caught up in legacies because I think sometimes um, that's self-serving, um, you know, and what I always pride myself in is let the work do the talking for you. One of the things that I shared last week, I don't know if you caught it, is um, our district celebrates uh, classified and certified uh, employees of the uh, of the year, right? And mm-hmm. so we've got, uh, you know, basically 30, 32 buildings, uh, and then you've got some departments that are factored into that. So we, ha- we held our classified employee of the year breakfast uh, last year, and that environment is to uh, recognize and celebrate uh, all of the nominees that were selected by their peers, um, and then also select uh, the individual that is the overall winner for the entire district. So, I'm, as I indicated, I, I don't really care too much about legacies, but I, I care about the daily work that's taken place and the framework that we've set up. And at that setting, 10 of the 35 individuals that were selected to represent their building and or department came from the facility operation wing. Okay. I just Mm -hmm. think about that. Right. Uh, That means that we have made uh, a significant impact to where others have recognized that individual's contributions at the local level, their building and or department and selected them as an individual that significantly contributes to the educational process for their respective building and or department. That is what I'm proud of. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, that lets me know that all of the work that we put in since year one uh, in this district, which is, you know, it's a large district, 12th largest in the state, but operationally, uh, the work that we took on um, when I started my tenure, those are the fruits of that labor, mm-hmm. right? And so that that is, at the end of the day, um, that's what I hang my hat on. Uh, it, it's kind of kind of that carryover, I guess, uh, if you will. You know, as a, as a parent, you know, you try to teach your kids certain things and it takes time for them to understand, but when they get it, 
that's probably the proudest moment you have as a parent. And I, and I liken that situation to, to what I just experienced here in the, in, in this district. And so, you know, this, if you'll ask the second part of your question, cause it was twofold uh, yeah. in terms of um, where I'm headed. Um, I'd, I'd be more than happy to uh, elaborate on that piece of, of it. As yeah. well. Please do. So in terms of where I'm headed, yeah, sure. This is my alma mater from, you know, a, a district standpoint, uh, the independence. I went to school here, went away, came back, contributed, you know, to your point, most people stay in that role uh, until they, they retire, right. Uh, or go do something completely different. Um, I, I'm driven by challenges and opportunities and uh, the Francis Howell is uh, a wonderful district. Um, we started kind of having conversations uh, about potential interest way back in, uh, you know, as, as, as early as November of uh, 2022. And then obviously once the uh, position was posted, had to go through the formal process and it was competitive. I mean, you, uh, to your point, we've got a lot of talented folks in the state of Missouri uh, mm-hmm. uh, that can go in and, and, comprehensively bring uh, services and expertise in the areas of operations to, to best serve that district. So as with any process, I really started researching what that district um, stands for. Um, they're academically, you know, they're in the top, top eight in the state of Missouri of, a, you know, a, a state that's got 400 and I think it's 70 school districts might even be a little bit more. So they've got, mm-hmm strong academic uh, pedigree. Uh, yep. There was certainly opportunity for them on the operations side to, to grow and enhance many of the things that they were doing. And I felt, you know, my uh, combination of higher ed as well as uh, public, um, certainly I've picked up a lot of tools uh, along the way that can uh, contribute to, to the, the great work that's already taken place there and really try to, you know, grow the operational side of the district to match the academic pedigree that they have across the state. And so, you know, uh, my wife, the, the other part of this, Josh, my wife is from the area. She grew up in the St. Louis area. And uh, it's, a, it's certainly an opportunity to, to have the, you know, be closer to her family as well. Uh, and so it's a good opportunity professionally for me, but also checks the family box. Awesome. Awesome. No, you, uh, you made it, you made it, you talked about, you know, being the eighth in the best curriculum for in the state. And, um, you know, I, I was funny. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico and, uh, John Dufay is the director of facilities. When you walk into their, um, facilities office on the wall, it says to be 21st century schools, we must be a 21st century M and O department. And yep. that's something that's very important. And, I, and, uh, you know, in order to get to number one, you gotta be number one all around. It can't just be in the uh, the curriculum focus, it's got to be in that learning environment that they're providing because every every study shows uh, optimum learning environments, meaning clean air, safe space. Um, you know, we talk about those Glade plugins, uh, this is the, the teachers put in that can make a difference in respiratory. All those all those pieces actually play a factor in the in the level of education that a, a student can receive. So good for you. Congratulations. Uh, look forward to the to the move. And I got to tell you, um, your my past guests um have have all been trying to get me to go the way of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, mm-hmm. as I said I'm a Massachusetts New England Patriots fan um they've all they've all been as a matter of fact uh I can't remember if it was Jim or Casey they had a big big wall uh Kansas City I think Chiefs. it was you, it was Casey you've been, you kept you've uh, been very you've been very subtle you've had your hands in front of your tie and occasionally yeah. put me into a trance because I'm pretty sure <laughs> you have the Kansas City Chiefs logo on your tie and i for the last two minutes i'm like is that a kansas city chiefs logo what is he doing there what's what's going on there oh this is strange so you you've successfully got me thinking about the kansas city chiefs and congratulations for the super bowl that uh big win well a funny story uh i purposely wore this tie for you today uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I kept hearing you. I think you visited with the uh, DLR team and the Lee Summit. Mm-hmm. And I think someone had a, either a poster of the Chiefs. Yes. Casey had a hat or something. Yeah. So I said, you know, I've, I've got a I've got a date with Josh. I, I, I better continue that tradition <laughs> of making sure that he doesn't forget about the Chiefs. Yeah. In, in all honesty, 
I'm a redheaded stepchild in this area as well because I'm a huge, huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, I mean, when they win the Super Bowl here, yeah. my, my parking spot, I came in, I come in to, I just know that there's always going to be some kind of shenanigan that <laughs> staff will put up, right? So the first, when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, um, I came into my office, my door had a Patrick Mahomes fat head on the front, yeah. all of the computer screens had Chiefs, Super Bowl champions, my parking spot out front had Chiefs Super Bowl champion. And then I went to lunch, came back, and my truck had Patrick Mahomes basically wrapped around. <laughs> um, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's all fun and games. Yeah. Um, you know, appreciate that, that my staff feels comfortable enough to really kind of, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek tease me because uh, yeah. they know I'm a big Steelers fan. Um, but I always still remind them. Yeah. <laughs> count the number of Super Bowls that the yeah. Chiefs have versus the Steelers. And when you yeah. get to this point, let's let's have a conversation. But yeah. uh, they've they've got about four more to go before they can start uh uh you know, I guess riding in that same stratosphere as the Steelers and a couple of the other teams that have uh, multiple Super Bowl wins more than they do. So yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you. Cause that was, that's always good fun. And, and, uh, you know, like I say, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I am definitely, I'm a new England Patriots fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. So I, sad to see that he retired. I thought he was going to play for at least another 30 years. Um, but, um, you know, a, a good team is a good team and there's, there's some talent yeah. and you saw some, you saw some impressive, some impressive play this year. And, uh, you saw Mahomes play through some injuries and that, that was, uh, uh, you know, hats off to him. And, um, and head coach has the greatest the greatest line uh, of any leader that I've ever heard, which is when the the outlook is grim, be the grim reaper. Uh, that was just a classic in the play in the playoff comeback, uh, come back and forth uh, last year, a couple of years ago. So, um, well, it's so- certainly a lot of there's a lot of positive things uh, taking place here, and uh, you know I'm I'm a big athletics guy. Um, you know, I, I my my boys play hockey. And so I get to travel all over the country, but, and, and enjoy their, their, their successes. But um, speaking of the, you know, the Kansas city chiefs, um, they, they, they really have, they, they, they're a great organization. Uh, They're doing some really great things and um, you know, to, you know, kudos to new England, because I think that model that, Mm. that you saw there under those general managers and Bill Belichick is really let's be honest, that's what's replicated here. Yep. You know, you've got Mahomes, you've got a good tight end, and you surround those folks with all of those uh, support roles, very similar to what New England did. You've got your quarterback and Tom Brady, you've got Gronkowski, you surround them with, uh, you know, key pieces and you make runs, you know, yeah. and uh, I think Kansas City is uh, poised to make runs here probably for the next four to five years with how they've drafted and the talent that they have and uh, the consistency in leadership too also matters. So, so I didn't plan this, but it, it, you fell right into it as a, as a, as we're going. So I can, so I can, t- so I can give you credit and give the new England Patriots credit. But when I asked you about um, stress and keeps you up at night and leaving a legacy, uh, yeah. You did. You did the absolute leadership that I know you, which was looking to your team and the success of your team and recognizing them as a whole. And um, it was Bill Belichick in the first year that Tom Brady took the helm. And I watch this video regularly on YouTube, so you can do a search for it. But the first Super Bowl that the Patriots were in with Tom Brady, um, you can remember. Um, or, Back in the played the Rams, uh, didn't they? Yeah, they played the Rams every Super Bowl prior to the the Rams game. The Super Bowl, they welcomed the individual players to the field as a welcome, and it was that Super Bowl that Bill Belichick said, "My team came here as a team. They're coming out to the field as a team." And it was the first time ever that the team came out in unison, not named individually but collectively, and that was really a defining moment, in my opinion on how they were able to start to build that legacy yeah. of, of teamwork, true teamwork and success. Right. Um, no individuals uh, on the team. It was collective. And that was, that was pretty cool. So um, yeah. I mean, I'd say this has been awesome as I expected. 
Uh, I'm going to post that. I'm going to share that that post that you put uh, with the 10 out of 35 team members, and it was a head custodian that that got the 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 uh, the award. As I saw, as I read it real quick. So we'll yeah, it the- was it was uh, Michael Schollhammer, and he's our head custodian slash building manager at uh, William Christman, which is one of our three high schools. And um, yeah, very proud of, of of the work that we do here. Um, it matters. It's important. Um, and, and as we kind of started off at our uh, conversation initially, um, I think, you know, district leadership recognized that, you know, and uh, that was also kind of, you know, putting a bow on it. Uh, that was very evident in my meetings as I was um, working through the candidacy process with Francis Howe. Um, I think they recognized that uh, comprehensive leadership in the area of operations is you know, an investment that they need to make. And, um, you know, selfishly, I think I've got the right uh, tools to, to contribute to that. And I, I think it, it ties down to, in order to really make change, you've got to recognize that you need to make a change, right? And, uh, and you need to treat that position with the same uh, dignity, uh, integrity, um, you know, approach that you would treat you know, any other leadership position on the academic side within your district. So excited about that, excited to, you know, to be working, you know, a little bit behind the scenes with uh, my future team and uh, trying to coach and lead them as well. But, uh, you know, all I can do is provide the the framework, which are the guardrails. You'll always hear me talk about that. I'll set up the yep. guardrails and then uh, we'll get our team to work within that framework to, to, deliver comprehensive uh, services in the areas of facilities and operations. So I'm excited about it. So. Well, me, me too. And we'll, we'll, we'll do it to be continued. So um, we've gone way over and I know you've got work to, to do. So we'll, we'll, we'll do chapter chapter two, but thank you for wearing the tie uh, that made, that made my day and, uh, and sharing so much with us, my friend. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate the work that you do too. I think uh as, as Charlie's probably shared with you and as I've kind of, you know, Charlie started talking with me and others on the board about podcasts. And at first I was like, you know, okay. Um, but the more and more that uh, I travel a lot, right. With my yeah. kids for hockey. And I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and um, I've listened to every single one that you've put out. Uh, I think um they're they're great there's been key takeaways from every single one uh that that i can take and implement into uh, my role here and i have and uh my future my future role with francis house so um it's it's most certainly a, a need in the operation side i think many of the podcasts that you hear out there are about academics and leadership and and, and those things but the opportunity to visit with you and you providing that platform for us to share the, the great work that supports all of those other yep. functions in a school system um, is sometimes under underlooked and underserved. And I think uh, I truly appreciate you for, for taking on this uh, and giving us a platform to share the great things that we're, we're doing in the state of Missouri. You know, it's my honor, and then this has been the fastest growing. Even though we've only done eight episodes, and working, we're doing it the right way. We're getting the we're getting the guests that 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 we're, we're patient with our guests, uh, getting them on. And and if it takes a little bit longer to launch or whatever, that's okay. Um, and in turn, it's been a great product. I mean, we've, we've yeah. done it collectively. There's been a couple thousand downloads. Um, yeah. which is highly targeted in that area. And what's really nice is, you know, I'll get a call from someone. They'll say, "Hey, you know, I had someone in my district that didn't really know a lot about what I did." I share the podcast with them and they listen to it. And it's this outside person. It's me, you know, asking inquisitive questions from Massachusetts or Wisconsin or wherever I'm at that are, that are really, they're questions that I think your stakeholders and taxpayers uh, and, and, and clients, students, parents, everybody that they should be asking or that they'd like to ask and, and providing those answers without having to have a, an argument or anything else and, and really bringing that awareness to the forefront. So I appreciate uh, the kind words and you listening and, uh, and joining us. And you're going to be a, you're going to be on again already. I've already, I've already booked you again. So there you go. All right. um, well, sounds okay. good. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thank you again and uh, have a great rest of your week and we'll, we'll be in touch. 
Appreciate you, my friend. And, uh, and that, that'll do it for another episode here. This was another doozy. Uh, just can't thank everyone enough. As I shared, we've had a couple thousand downloads. Um, we really, if we deserve your five-star rating and review, please, um, on the podcast platform of your choice, go ahead and hit that five-star rating and review. The ratings and reviews, the downloads, uh, listens on the podcast platforms is what gets us a rating. There's roughly 3.6 million podcast channels. And uh, we want to get ourselves in that top 10% rate ranking as quickly as possible and hopefully get to that top 1% because uh, this is some really exciting and incredible content that we're sharing, um, not just for the, the the great folks in Missouri, but there's takeaways that any school district USA can take away from this um, to give hope and optimism and, and planning and, and, and go into that next step. So if, uh, if we haven't earned it, uh, Reach out to me, Josh at beawesome.com. That's B-E-A-U-S-M as in Mary.com. It's Josh. Let me know what we can do, how we can improve, or maybe you want to be a guest, and that's what'll get us that five-star rating review from you. But um, be sure to reach out to us. And uh, in the meantime, have an awesome day and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.